0: listening to City Speak with Max Masuda-Farkas. With each passing day, it seems that we come closer and closer to a world of fully autonomous vehicles. One can easily recall a time when we were dazzled by cars that could detect when another vehicle was in your blind spot or could prevent you from veering outside your lane. Now, nothing short of fully driverless cars would seem to impress us, and I look forward to the day when even that, and by extension this entire podcast episode, will seem like a quaint notion in comparison to the future world we will soon inhabit. But my guest today thinks that for all of the buzz about autonomous vehicles, there has been one critical component missing in the equation. That is, what sort of physical infrastructure will support them? Tyler Duval is the CEO of Cavnew, a company with a singular focus on building roads that are optimized for autonomous vehicles. These roads will be able to dynamically interact with self-driving cars, bolstering their safety, decreasing congestion, and ultimately accelerating their adoption both within cities and the wide expanses in between them. Stay tuned. Cityspeak is sponsored by Batoni Architects. With expertise in modern residential and commercial projects, Batoni Architects works in collaboration with clients to design their futures. To learn more, visit BatoniArchitects.com. Tyler Duval, welcome to Cityspeak. Great to be here. So before we dive into CavNew, let's talk about the road that led you here. From what I can tell, you've had a long and varied career working on transportation and infrastructure issues. Notably, that includes as acting undersecretary for policy of the U.S. Department of Transportation. Can you just walk us through your career up until this point?
1: (laughs) Sure, Max. Definitely a... Got a lot of ebb and flow to my career. So, working backwards, you know, I basically started Cavanue in September of this, of uh, 2020. Uh, real excited about the opportunity, which we'll obviously talk about uh, now. But, you know, before that, I was uh, running a uh, privately operated toll road down in Austin, Texas, uh, one of the fastest growing quarters in the country. It's actually right in the same quarter that Tesla announced its big new facility, Amazon announced some huge distribution facilities. So, it's, it's one of the fastest growing parts of the US. Still involved with that company as a as the chairman of the board down there but really real excited uh, about the prospect of private investment in toll roads uh, and so so that was that was a fun experience and as you said i, I had other paths where I uh, ran you know McKinsey's infrastructure practice in North America for a decade working basically with governments investors you know construction engineering companies across a, a wide range of opportunities there. And then, you know, as you as you noted, I spent seven years at the U.S. Department of Transportation, worked up from a from a junior level to to the number three person at the department by the time I, I left, and started my career as a corporate M and A lawyer and securities lawyer. So uh, I've seen seen a lot of very interesting uh, institutions, a lot of great people that I've worked with, some really talented people. So uh, w- when this opportunity came. I just said, look, this is kind of the culmination of the the, the many different areas that I've been working on. You know, I, I worked in uh, worked in technology, worked in transportation, worked in finance, worked in innovation, operations, and I, you know, I just said this this is kind of the intersection of everything I've been doing. So, uh, it's one of those moments where you say, you know, if you don't do this, are you going to look back in twenty years and say, why the hell didn't I do this? And that that was one of these moments.
0: So, drawing from your experience at the DOT, at McKinsey, at uh, SH130 company. You assumed your present role as CEO and co-founder of Cavenue. I'd like for you to take us back to August of 2020, when the company was founded. As I understand it, the company is the first subsidiary of another company known as Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners. Can you tell us what Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners is and how and why CAVNU was initially founded.
1: Right. So obviously, I wasn't there at the beginning. Uh, I actually started technically after the company was already formed. But uh, yes, Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners is effectively a a joint venture between Alphabet uh, and Ontario Teachers. So on the one hand, you have one of the world's leading technology companies. On the other hand, you have one of the world's leading infrastructure investors. So Ontario Teachers you know has got tremendous capabilities in investing in long-term assets like airports, roadways, power, uh, you know, alternative energy sectors. And in in effect, Alphabet and and teachers came together to form this platform called Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners. Uh, There are two two, uh, co-CEOs of that. One guy's name is Jonathan Weiner. The other is Brian Barlow. Both of whom have got very deep uh, and actually really good overlapping expertise around uh, infrastructure, technology, et cetera. So I think that the, the theory of the platform is that, you know, all of our infrastructure asset classes have seen far too little innovation, far too little focus on operational efficiencies and that technology which has you know permeated every walk of life uh, around the, the globe has not permeated this, this sector as much uh, as others and that there's a lot of opportunity to drive efficiencies and frankly support the innovations that are sitting in and around those sectors. So our company, as you said, was the first platform that was formed, uh, and the theory of our company is that you know we're about to see a positive revolution in autonomous travel around the world, uh, but that there's some major impediments and obstacles to to doing that in a timely fashion, and that for many years there was a there's a sense that the infrastructure side of the The autonomous story was not being told correctly and and the investments to support those were were not being done. So our company, Cavanaugh, is the mobility platform for sidewalk infrastructure partners. So it's very exciting. It's it's frankly what needed to happen, which is this intersection of long-term investors who understand the underlying physical assets with with technology firms that are looking to drive innovation.
0: You said that the infrastructure side of the coming autonomous revolution has been largely neglected or ignored? Why do you suppose that is? Why has that not been part of the equation?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, from the industry side, like, you know, call it the auto industry and the, you know, the technology companies like Waymo and others that are pushing new frontiers of autonomy, I mean, they've been very focused on the vehicle. Like, how do we make the vehicle function on the playing field that is, right? The playing field, meaning the infrastructure and the roadway. So, you know, their engineers are focused on solving the problems that are in front of them and cracking through barriers that, you know, you'd have to ask them what their view is of the evolution of infrastructure in that context. But I think for the most part, they're like, all right, here's the problem. Let's go solve this problem. I think on the government side, the folks who own and operate infrastructure, there's obviously major challenges around capabilities, funding, procurement. Uh, It just takes a long time for government to deploy technology. And then there are obviously risks associated with government operating and maintaining the technology that they need. And so I think what we said is, look, these two worlds need to come together, that the government, uh, through a company like Kavin, can really help eliminate obstacles that, you know firms like GM Toyota Waymo are really encountering uh, and you know we can effectively create the platform by which the government can contract to help unlock all these uh, all these benefits and you know we'll get into kind of what are we talking about but you know fundamentally it's at edge cases right like these these so obviously we've we've seen the, you know this is not theoretical we've got vehicles running around the street right now in San Francisco these vehicles work uh, they're going to continue to work, but there are major problems at the edge, so to speak, where you run into anomalies, problems with you know the maps change or things change underlying infrastructure. And if we get 99.5 percent away there, that that's not safe enough, right? Like we need to provide it an even safer experience. So the question is, can government help you know effectively close that final gap and, and really unlock uh, unlock this? If if we don't, I think our theory is that it's going to take. Much longer, maybe a decade longer, maybe five years longer—I don't know—but significantly longer to experience the benefits of, you know, call it level four, level five autonomy. So that's that's a that's the argument we made. I mean, I think, you know, it's worth talking to government officials. I think some some government officials are very excited, obviously, about the prospect of technology. But at the same time, you know, these are institutions that were built up with a very different challenge, right? A, a traditional state department of transportation their goal and role in the world was to deliver highway projects, operate and maintain those projects. So they have a kind of a capital orientation. They now increasingly are looking at environmental consequences. They are not organizations who are designed to, to develop and deploy technology. Uh, so it's not, it's, not a, it's not a fault of government. It's just not the purpose of government initially.
0: So for our listeners who may not be familiar with the various ranges of autonomy, can you explain what is level three, level four, level five?
1: Yeah. So look, I'll, I'll qualify this by saying people use these differently. Right. So, I mean, you, you could Google this and you'll see, you know, many different uh, answers there. Is, you know, some standard nomenclature, though, that's emerged. You know, when we talk about level three vehicles, it's it's largely it can be operated without hands without feet, so it's cruise control, but also adaptive steering. But the driver does need to be prepared, alert, and ready to take control of the vehicle when issues arise or or systems you know, demand that that happen. So this is not the kind of vehicle that you can sit in the passenger seat, sit in the back seat, you can't be reading a book, you can't be doing a Zoom call, uh, you've gotta be alert, ready to take the wheel. It's effectively a, think of the analogy of like, you're, you're ready to jump on the field at any moment if there's, if there's a problem. So at level four, you don't, uh, the concept is you don't need to do that. It's a, you know, some somebody I talked to recently referred to it as mo- minds off. So there's hands off, feet off, and then this is minds off, right? So you can effectively unplug and do something else. Now, level four, Many people say you still need to be able to spring to action if there is something, but at the moment that happens, you don't need to be paying full attention. Like there, you know, you might need to to be able to to take control. You know, when a warning system says X Y Z, you know, needs to happen. Level five is you don't even need to be a, have a person in the vehicle. It's you know, the vehicle effectively will function as you know, robo taxis can be level five where they literally are just operating in an arena and you call it up and there are obviously many companies now looking to deploy robo taxis again in a kind of a contained environment. And look, I think the way we're going to see city travel in, in you know, 10, 15 years is you're going to see a ton of autonomous vehicles functioning. You know, your Uber app will, or your Lyft app will call call the vehicle and, you know, you'll take a four minute, what, five minute trip and it'll it'll be autonomous and there, there, there might not be a driver in the vehicle at all. There's some recent announcements about delivery vehicles that are doing this. You've even seen some little robots functioning in cities, delivering during the COVID environment, delivering food this way. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're about to enter a major new frontier of this.
0: Let's go ahead now and, and kind of drill down on the actual vision that Cavenue sees for its uses and applications. Your company has identified, as I see, four primary areas in which you see the greatest potential for your roads. These areas are public transit, freight, private autonomous vehicles, as well as conventional vehicles. Can you describe for us Cavnew's vision of the future of each of these transportation modes and the infrastructure that will support them?
1: Right. So caveat what I'm about to say, which is is we have an evolving vision and and we're going to learn as we go. Right. So this is we're not one of these companies that says, all right, this is the playbook and now let's just go execute it. We are working with government and working with the industry to basically define exactly what you just said. But I think first and foremost in our Michigan project is effectively a. A transit project that will also hopefully provide benefits to private car users, and I think in, in this one, I think the idea is we can create new form factors of transit vehicles that people will use, be comfortable with, are safe, and will provide significant efficiencies in an operating model where transit is really struggling to to, to work. I mean, you see lots of concerns around demand on the transit side in the, in the current COVID environment, but we've had longstanding concerns around the operating model. How do we deliver the service dynamically in a customer-friendly way? How do we encourage more use of transit? And so hopefully we can combine effectively this platform for autonomous transit use with a a new demand for transit. So maybe the vehicles are carrying 12 to 14 people, maybe they're tied to demand, maybe they're obviously app-based where customers are effectively calling the transit in in a much more agile, low-cost way. And so I think we're hopeful that through autonomy, we can introduce a in a more innovative transit service in, in, in this quarter of Michigan where we're working. I think on the on the private side, many, many firms are making announcements about level three vehicles. Honda made a recent announcement about a huge increase in, in level three vehicles, GM as well, Ford, who's been a great partner of the project. So I mean, every major OEM is making announcements about the use of advanced driver assistance programs and, and and technologies. And I think this is, this is you know, at the end of the day where we see the most immediate opportunity, Tesla obviously has gotten a lot of attention and is delivering some real innovation too. And so, you know, could you effectively accelerate the benefits of a level three vehicle? Could could you effectively say to a driver on a on an autonomous laneway, like we're talking about building, okay, now you can have hands off, feet off, and and frankly, you can disengage. I think right now, you obviously, drivers particularly in the level three systems that are coming to market, need to stay ready, alert, et cetera. And I think the question is, can you create the conditions on the roadway that the infrastructure supplies the gap uh, between a level three and level four experience? And you know, obviously, there's a lot of debate. I saw yesterday that Waymo announced kind of a changing articulation of their own use of the term autonomy. So I think I I use level three, four, you know, based on the traditional approaches, but it's interesting. There is a big debate in the industry about whether this is the right nomenclature, but for now we'll we'll use it. And so I think that's the idea. I think in freight, um, there's huge excitement, as you know, about the trucking industry and whether we could, you know, we have a driver shortage in many cases, we've got obviously lots of costs built into the, freight system in the United States. Can we start to give drivers more ability to do other things? Can we add to productivity there? And I think, you know, long haul freight, as well as freight in and around major hubs of activity like seaports or or railroad terminals in these areas, you know, there's a huge opportunity to safely define a a freight corridor. And we call them, you know, freight autonomous laneway. Uh, I think trucking to me is the most, because it's so commercial uh, because at the end of the day, the question is, how do we compress costs to deliver faster? I mean, they're the most—it's the most receptive segment of the economy to to kind of this push for efficiency and innovation, just because it's, it's their business. So I think you know, from that perspective, we're talking to a variety of long haul routes you know, in different states, turnpikes, et cetera, that that I think could be real good test beds. I think with freight, you do need a longer stretch. You know, the, the local delivery model, I think you're seeing. You know, Amazon and others really do some innovative things there. But when we talk about freight, we're talking about kind of long haul corridors.
0: One of the more remarkable aspects of Cavenue, in my opinion, is the sheer size of the coalition you've assembled to advance its mission. You've brought together traditional automotive companies like BMW, Ford, GM, autonomous vehicle companies like Alphabet's Waymo, and then notably government partners from the state of Michigan and research institutions like the University of Michigan. First of all, how did you accomplish attracting buy-in from such a wide range of partners? And secondly, what is the nature of these partnerships? Is it merely advisory or is there an operational component to them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Max. I, I wish I could take credit for it, but uh my colleagues who predated me at, at at Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners deserve all the credit for that. But basically, the on the auto industry side, there was just a relentless interaction and describing of the company, what we are trying to do. The case, the case for Kavanaugh, in effect, was just made over and over to different levels of these organizations. You've got the top leadership, you've got the business leads, you've got the you know the government affairs people within i mean you know every single one of these large oems is is quite complex internally, and so you know the team just just worked to to effectively make the case for why this project was so pioneering. The, the key was the governor, uh, Lieutenant Governor and, you know, Bill Ford, who were all became huge champions of this. And you know, obviously, you have to have this confluence of government support and industry support to pull something like, like this off. So, you know, I think the sidewalk team was able to convince the governor correctly that this was a, a groundbreaking new idea for the state of Michigan. Obviously, the home of such innovation on the vehicle side, this was kind of like the next step for the state to take. So, I mean, there's no question that Michigan is is such a great place to do this in. And the governor and and her team have been incredibly supportive of everything we've been doing. Michigan DOT has been a terrific partner too. So, you can't just have the political leadership; you need to have the technical leadership on the government side. So, to to your question earlier, there's just this moment uh, where. There, some of the frustration that was building in the autonomous community met perfectly with this desire for innovation on the government side, and Cavenue was kind of formed right at that spark moment where these two worlds were starting to kind of, you know, wrestle with how do we get this done better. And you know, to the sidewalk infrastructure team's credit, they formed the company right at that moment. And it, it's been easy. I mean, every every OEM we talk to uh, says this is fantastic. We love this. Government loves it. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of work to be done, which we're working on now. But uh, you know, I, I've never seen a project with such such a broader base of support. To your question about you know their role on the on the industry side, we want them to be active participants. We want them to shape this. At the end of the day, if they if they're kind of passive observers to this, it won't work. Industries' products are going to be on the road, right? So they have to feel confident in the solution. They have to believe in the technology, uh, and so. We we are treating them as true partners uh, in this project. Uh, this is not one of these. Okay, thanks for the support. You know, we'll let you know how it goes, and we'll do a perfunctory meeting in six months. I mean, we're meeting regularly with them, and they're providing extremely helpful input through the process. That's going to ramp up a lot in the next six months as we get into the actual technology solution. So, yeah, short answer is this: this won't work if if they're not deeply invested in it.
0: I'd like to finish off with probably the most obvious question to close our conversation with, and that is, how soon do you expect Michiganders will be able to drive on the first fully built connected roadway?
1: So it's it's open now, Max. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, so the, uh, look, it, we have a two-year arrangement with the Michigan Department of Transportation uh, that started, you know, in, in August uh, to effectively design the solution, right? W- what is the technology solution? What is the operating model? What is the liability? What is the commercial arrangement? Where's the revenue coming from? I mean, big questions, right? Uh, and so we're working through all of those right now. Uh, I think, you know, I think we're going to try to make a lot of progress in 21. I'm, I'd love to advance the conversation to get to an implementation agreement as soon as possible. If we can get to it in 21, I think that would be terrific. The the two-year time frame is effectively when we will sign hopefully a long-term agreement that will require us then to go deliver the project. So that delivery process, to answer your question most directly, is probably going to take several years. I would imagine, let's say by mid-2022, we have a full implementation agreement. You know, Our hope is that by 2024, 25, that the, that the lane will be open and, and operational in some form. Uh, obviously, lots of wild cards in what I just said, because we haven't fully designed the solution. And, and I think this is one of the big questions, Max, is how much of the solution is going to be really capital intensive, expensive, complex versus more nimble, digital, lower cost? Obviously, we hope the latter because it will allow the stuff to, to be delivered faster. But there's no question there'll be civil improvements needed.
0: Tyler Duvall, thanks so much for joining us.
1: All right. Thanks, Max.
0: Thanks for listening to City Speak with Max Masuda-Farkas. CitySpeak is produced in partnership with Urbanized Media, with audio production and music by Greg Gordon Smith and Source Code Creative Media. Stay tuned for our next episode.